next on the OHIO podcast. We break down the films of Ohio State's most recent commitments. We host our fourth annual OSU NFL Mock Draft. And Eric has an exclusive interview with author and Ohio State football statistician Steve Bassford. And that all starts right now. It's so easy to be average. You know it as well as I know it. It takes a little something to be special, Don. It takes a little something special to be a great player. We don't have enough great players. To hell with that! We don't want to coach average. I don't want to be around you. Why be around average? I'm proud of our young people in the classroom, in the community, and most especially in 310 days in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on the football field. Three things. Number one, the team that hits the hardest and the longest, the team that starts the fastest, and the team is too damn smart to make mistakes. If you take it to them, if you don't make mistakes, and you keep taking it to them, hell, there's no question who wins. It's time for the best Buckeye podcast. By fans, for the fans, where they hate that team up north as much as you do. It's time for the OHIO Podcast. OHIO! Welcome back to the OHIO Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Buckeye Boggs, recording live from an absolutely gorgeous North Central Ohio. And I am joined by my two two co-hosts today uh, on this crazy ride with me. The wild man himself, Chris Wilds, and the muck from up in the state up north, Jason Monk. Chris, how are you enjoying the weather today, my man? Oh man, it's beautiful. I'm getting the the garage is all cleaned out, Eric. I'm actually taking and setting up a massive yard sale for all those sports fans. I've got to actually clean out some of my stuff. Uh oh, Eric. <laughs> yeah, Eric I've, like I've been mandated to. I've been mandated to clean out some of my things. So. Mm, as long as you give your best man here uh, dibs, first dibs, you know. Have I ever have I ever done you wrong, man? You've not. <laughs> you've not. And I saw where you haven't done our other co-host wrong, Jason Muck. Looks like you're uh, you've uh, you're using the same dealer as me on your fix here. I'm I'm eyeing a couple things, that's for sure. And I know he's on the lookout for me for something for my selling as well. So <laughs> you'll find it. Chris is the man for that. If you're not satisfied with pickup games and unranked matches, chances are you're aiming higher than most. Aspire, you'll train to be the best, whether you're drawn to the pool track, mat, basketball court, or gaming controller. We provide the training you need to achieve your dream. Make our facilities your home or take advantage of free transportation services. Are you ready to unlock your potential? Visit SpireCleveland.com today. All right, today we are going to do our huge uh, <clears throat> mock draft for the Buckeyes, who uh, many of which will be uh, will be moving, backing up the U-Haul trucks and heading to different places of the country as rookies in the NFL. That's going to happen this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. To me, it's one of my favorite things as a as a Closet Bengals fan, it was always nice to <clears throat> wake up on Saturday morning and have your first pick in usually by 12 o'clock noon. That's not the case anymore as they've moved the draft to Thursdays and now the Bengals are actually good. So 
uh, <clears throat> Chris, I think you might be experiencing a little bit of that now, so that's okay. Anyways, I don't have any picks, man. We <laughs> traded them all away. They traded them away. <laughs> Anyways, we are going to uh, talk a little bit about the news, and as promised from last week, we are going to review Bryson Rogers and Dejon Johnson, the two newest recruits in the class of 2023, before we dive into our NFL Buckeye Mock Draft. But the one news we do want to cover is the Big Ten announced this week, Chris, that they they have renewed their contract there um, in Indianapolis at the home of the Colts. I believe it's uh, Summit Racing, or I forget the actual name of the of the dome there. It's eluded my my memory here, but I love the place. I love to go to the Big Ten Championship game and watch a game there. I think Indy's got one of the best locations for uh, in the Midwest for just comfortable football viewing, and there's not a bad seat in that house. Lucas Oil Stadium, there it is, came to my mind. Yep. Anyways, that being said, I want your uh, thoughts here. I'll go with you first, Monk, on Ohio- on uh, the Big Ten keeping the championship <laughs> game there for at least three more seasons. Well, I, I like the fact that they're keeping the championship game because there was a lot of talks that they were going to get rid of it. But um, I would like to see it kind of move venues here and there. I think that would make it a little more interesting. But I'm Which just, like venues said, would you choose then? Oh, anywhere that's got indoor, obviously, because okay. you're, you're not going to so, want to play it out in the cold. <laughs> so that limits you to Detroit and Min- Minneapolis? Yeah, pretty much. I, I think that's it Yeah, in the Midwest. <laughs> okay, so, Chris, what do you I guess, think? I guess that's a bad argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to argue against you in a minute, but I'll get Chris's thoughts first. Go for it, Chris. Well, I'm going to argue against him first because okay. I absolutely <laughs> love the fact that it's Andy. Indy, as, as a Buckeyes fan, it's our home away from home. It isn't a long drive from Columbus, so our fans can always show out strong. It's a really nice city, uh, nice people for the most part. It's a hell of a lot less expensive than, say, you know, a Chicago. Yes. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty centrally located. Yep. Making it easy for most of the Big Ten, Big Ten teams, at least the ones that are relevant, to allow their fans to make this trip. Uh, the dome creates a perfect weather condition, which obviously is going to favor. Oh, let's say if you had a pass-heavy, fast, up-tempo offense, uh, that, that's going to definitely be an advantage having that indoor, uh, you know, that indoor atmosphere. Honestly, I can't find a thing to dislike about this decision, Eric. I love it. Like you said, Lucas Oil Field has no bad seats in the place. Uh, again, the city is great. Some excellent restaurants, not expensive to stay in if, you, if you're making the trip over as long as you book in advance. Our, our friends from the, the uh, team up north there uh, learned the hard way last year. Yeah. If you don't book it early, it hurts. But, uh, yeah, I love it. I look forward to going and, and, and seeing a championship game there this season. Beautiful. You made all my arguments for me, Chris, so I'm not even going to argue against that. All I'm going to say to <laughs> – all I'm going to say against Monk, what you what you brought out there, there's no way that the Big Ten would ever do away with it, and I'll tell you why. It's called the green stuff that's in your wallet. Oh, absolutely. There's just way too much money for them to uh, to, to for them to make for them to do away with that. I think even when the Big Ten expands to 16 teams, which is going to happen, people, mark it down. 
There's been all kinds of rumblings out outside. And Again, it'll be sooner rather than later, Eric. It will be, yes. I look for it. I, I would not be surprised if it, there's not an announcement by the end of summer, honestly. Yeah. And and um, this much I know, Iowa State will not be a part of that. They have lost their AAU no. status. And, by, and, and uh, I mean, as soon as that happened, you heard all kinds of rumors come out that the Big Ten will no longer even – will you no longer even look at them. There's still a lot of um, – I think there's still a lot of talks between the Big Ten and the Pac-12 for both to expand the 16 and create some kind of super lit conference between the East and the West. And that's kind of what they'll call them. And I'm hearing a lot of rumors that North Carolina and the Big Ten are really rubbing shoulders lately, which is to to me extremely interesting because I look at North Carolina. I love that. I, I look at North Carolina and think basketball with Duke, and I, I just can't imagine in Duke and North Carolina separating themselves from each other. But I think North Carolina looks at the Big Ten and says there's too much money to be made there for us. We're not making enough in the ACC. They look at themselves as the big dog in the ACC, especially in basketball with all that tradition and an up-and-coming football team and program. And the other one I'm hearing – is I'm still hearing Kansas, but I, I don't know. Again, if North Carolina and Kansas come in the Big Ten, you mark it down. Wow, that would up the basketball. Basketball wow. right now. I mean, but we all know football is what drives the bus here. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens, and then of course the Pac-12 will then raid the Big 12 once again, um, and to to make 16 out of there as well. But we'll see. That's that's a for a different podcast down the road. But I, I'm with you, Chris. I'm thankful that Indianapolis is going to be our home for at least three more seasons. And the talk about playing this game in Chicago outdoors or New York outdoors or Washington outdoors to me is absolutely ridiculous. That's ludicrous talking. Forget that. Uh, all right. Let's start with the newest recruit that we got from last week, Bryson Rogers. Chris, take it away, my man. Well, I'll tell you, Eric, Bryson Rogers is a 6'2", 170-pound wide receiver from Wiregrass Ranch High School in Zephyr Hills, Florida. <coughs> Excuse me. He comes into the season as a three-star prospect, uh, as ranked uh, by the 247 Sports Composite, 366th in the nation, 46th best at wide receiver, 73rd best player from the state of Florida. He currently has a 247 composite rating of 0.8891. Now, I know some people may be a little leery of that hearing those numbers because, let me tell you, he's not the top guys that we're used to hearing Heartline bring in. But Rivals does have this guy as a four-star recruiter, Eric. And let's not forget, Chris Olave was rated as the 68th best wide receiver in his class according to that same 247 Sports Composite. And all he did was come out and make a name for himself as arguably the best receiver in Buckeyes history. Not saying Rodgers is there, but just saying there is an argument to be made. So Rodgers has really good size. He attacks the ball well. Explosive speed, especially after the catch. Uh, You know, I watched the highlight film. He's a solid route runner, has great hands. Uh, good footwork, a quick first step to help create separation. But re- what I really liked, Eric, was the fact that for his age, he really seems advanced when it comes to setting up his defenders. 
using hesitation moves, shake moves, stutter steps. Uh, he has good hit motion, which creates uh, you know a great catch radius. He can high point the ball well and tends to outfight defenders for contested balls. He did show some blocking ability, which we all know if you're going to be a wide receiver at Ohio State, you better be able to block. He did show that he could do that. And when the kid gets the ball, Eric, it's like watching a running back. He runs, he fights, the legs never stop churning. He's just a tough kid. You know, they've got him ranked, like I said, at 366 in the nation right now. I think this kid is a top 100 talent. I don't care what the numbers say. Would like to see him add a few more pounds of muscle to that frame. But, Eric, I think he's an impressive player. Uh, I think he's very underrated. I think he's going to be a tremendous asset for this team. All right. I hate to be the Debbie Downer, man. I saw a lot of the same things you did, Chris. Uh, Decent size, runs hard after the catch. Uh, Tenacious with the ball in his hands. Absolutely agree with that. Um, His tendency to break tackles for a wide receiver, I think, is way above average. I think that's almost elite, you could say. Um, He does have a very good first step, which gives him that separation, like you said. And he tracks the ball okay. I would say his hands are average. I would say his blocking may be slightly above average. But outside of those things, I think his speed is below average. And I just don't see that top-level wide receiver from him. Again, I understand the argument about his ranking because of 247 being so down on him. The composite puts him at 366 nationally. And there is the argument out there, Chris, and you made it, that we should trust this coaching staff if they want a guy express, especially Brian Hartline, right? Absolutely. But I just don't see it, man. Do you know what else I could see with this kid, though, Eric? Tell me what you I could see him coming in, and maybe even in that first year, if it doesn't look like he's going to crack that depth chart immediately at wide receiver, this kid has the potential to pull the same move that Gee Scott Jr. pulled. Go tight end. And go tight end. He's going to have to really add a lot of muscle, though. He only weighs 170. I actually, I just saw he is up to 175 now. G. Scott came <laughs> in over 200 pounds. He did. He did. Uh, but you know what? I, I could see this kid doing it. I mean, we got the right coaches in place. I G- think he plays wide receiver. But you know what? If not, I could see the move to tight end. I think that that flexibility would be there. He's definitely physical. That's definitely, Oh, without a doubt. That's definitely what he's bringing to the table That I, I in his highlight film that – that jumps off the screen to me is his physicality. And so I, the tight end move might make sense given what you say there, but we'll see because <clears throat> I'll be honest, Chris Olave, I was, I was like, who's this guy? And by the end of that freshman season against Michigan, I said, who's this guy? And then he right. became my, he became my love interest for the next three seasons. So <laughs> um, I'm all over giving these guys. I mean, again, I think Brian Hartline has earned the earned the opportunity for me to say, I'm going to hold my judgment because I trust you. Well, you know what, though, Eric? This guy may not be as smooth as your sixth grade shirt. Yeah. <laughs> not yet. But you know what? I think Jason's about to tell us about a guy who kind of is. 
Yeah, I think he is. But first, Jason, do you have any thoughts on Bryson Rogers before you tell us all about this this next recruit that we have in the defensive backfield? Um, I didn't really watch a lot on this guy yet, but I'm yep. thinking maybe Heartline. This is a way of him showing that he really is that true developer of talent. Like, mm. what, what better way to show how good you are at developing than taking a low-ranked guy and turning him into a high-tier NFL draft prospect? I and, you know, also, he, he played in Florida, but he is an Ohio kid. This is true. And, and yeah, he's originally from Warren. Northeast. Yeah, Northeast Ohio, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's always something there. I did like how that there was already a crystal ball in for him for Florida, and then, boop, he's the Ohio State Buckeye. (laughs) Right, and then you got Uh, another low-ranking guy that we've seen recently just come out of nowhere, uh, Kai Stokes. So, I mean. And he looked awesome, dude. The proof is everywhere. There it is. All right, man. Let's move on now and talk about our other uh, recruit here. Jason, why don't you tell us all about uh, the the uh, another Florida kid here, um, Dejon Johnson, the cornerback. OK, he is a uh, his composite ranking is a point nine zero two nine. He's out of Wharton, Tampa, Florida. His national ranking is two seventy. His state ranking is 49, and he's uh, 29th at his position, uh, four-star, in my opinion. Very underrated, especially after watching this film. Like, (laughs) this kid's going to be pretty good, if you ask me. But he can play uh, cornerback. He can also play in the nickel or slot. And they said that he would do very well as a safety. So, I mean, he's got the versatility to move, you know, all over the backfield on the defense. Um, he's six foot one, 190 pounds. And this is something that kind of really jumped out at me. Just kind of reading over his stats from last year as a junior, he had six interceptions Four of them. He returned for touchdowns. Like that's Malik hooker type stuff right there. And I mean, the way he sees the field, his vision is really, really good. But I mean, he's an aggressive player. He's got really good speed. Um, he, he's not afraid to put his hat in there and put a hit on somebody. That's for sure. Um, the way he breaks on the ball is exactly the type of defensive back that we want. And we definitely can use, um, he's got good length, great athleticism. Uh, his ball skills are above average. He's, uh, he's really good about using his leverage and the route coverage is, route understanding looked to be really really well too um he's like i said uh he's great in man coverage i i would have liked to have seen him kind of do more zone reads but that's more on his coaches and the schemes than it is him so i can't really knock him on that and i don't know that we should really be concerned about that as far as whether someone can play – I mean, we used to be concerned about whether they could be man or zone. But given the defense that we play now, if you're going to be cornerback, it's all straight up man-to-man. And if you're a safety, it's all about coming downhill. Right. I, I just like I would like to see a little bit of diversity in his game to see sure. what he's got. Um, and other things that kind of stood out to me were he's not shy about as soon as the – ball snapped of getting his hands right on that receiver and pushing him back. I watched him probably knock 
three or four guys five yards back right as soon as they started to try to run from him. Yeah. So, and then he would drop back in his zone. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really <clears> there was one where they had uh, two receivers stacked, and then they ran a wheel route, and they were trying to get him to bite on the inside along with the linebacker. Yep. But he broke off in, like you said, broke off kind of in the zone coverage and just picked the play right off. I mean, <laughs> this kid's going to be special, that's for sure. What do you think of that 270 composite ranking? Do you think he's be- better than that? Because I should. Uh, he, he definitely is. I mean, yeah. he in a way, watching his film, he kind of reminds me of that kid that Ohio State just got. Uh, that was a Hartford, Malik Hartford. Mm, okay. Like, I could see that type of player in him. I'll tell you why he's better than 270. Are you ready for the list of people who wanted this guy he he had offers from? Oklahoma, USC, Alabama, Auburn. Yeah, that says it right there. Uh, There you go. That's all you need to know, right? (laughs) Right. So uh, he's – I mean, and here's the other thing that I think is really interesting about this. The main recruiter for him was Tim Walton. And then I don't know if you guys saw the tweet he busted out yesterday, but Tim Walton tweeted out – the Georgia pipeline is now open. Oh yeah, yeah. Cri- cryptic right there. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, then that's that got me all kind of uh, tingly in the in the field spots there. Chris, what are your thoughts on Dejon Johnson before I deliver my notes on his uh, film? Oh, I love him. A big physical corner, Eric. This guy is big. He is physical. He is fast. Smooth as silk. Great footwork. Very fluid in his back pedal. He really does well changing directions. I think he has tremendous instinct and anticipation. He can read routes, jump routes to make the play on the ball, which, you know, Jason had mentioned the all the interceptions and the ones returned for touchdowns. Uh, and, and the thing I do, he uses his hands well. Now, let me tell you something. At the next level, at the college level, he's really, I think, going to have to be coached up to maybe develop a little more discipline in the way he uses his hands. Because they're going to throw the flag quicker at this next level. But with right. Brian Hart, or with, with not Brian Hart, I'm sorry, with the defensive back coaches we've got there. Yeah. I truly believe, and, and we just saw, you know, Cincinnati's got two corners who are going to go in this draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the guy who can teach this guy how to control those hands. And I think still keep him aggressive. This guy has a chance to really be an outstanding, I think, bump and run or suit, you know, press corner, which I think not only are, are, there, are our assistants going to love, but let me tell you, I think Jim Knowles is going to love that because that gets him so much more flexibility of what he can do with those safeties that he loves to toy with. Yeah. So like I, I, I am so psyched about this kid. I am excited to see what he brings to the table. Go ahead. Go ahead, Monk. Uh, I was going to say, he also um, gives us a fast track to his teammate in the 2024 class. It is a four-star defensive end, uh, Booker Pickett Jr., and he's the nephew of 2001 first-round draft pick Ryan Pickett from Ohio State. Jason Monk, bring in the the inside. Inside (laughs) story. Well done. All right, so DeJon Johnson, to me, is Marshawn Lattimore reborn. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. Just about the same size. I love the physicality. He can play. He can play safety, but I think he might be more of a true corner. Uh, 
We'll see what the needs are when he comes on campus for Ohio State and probably whichever track is faster for him getting to the field is the, is the position they'll put him in. But uh, here's my notes on him. He has great timing, reads the play well, not afraid of contact. He will hit you. He can play quarterback or safety. will start a special teams right away. <clears throat> and then here's the one downfall, I think, from, from what I saw. Needs to learn how to fight through blocks better. Did get caught up in a little bit of traffic sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, but that just comes with time and experience. That's something that can be coached and, and a kid who's as physical as he is. So I'm not worried about that. I, I'm very happy with the Dejon Johnson commitment. And uh, we'll see what happens with the Bryson Rogers. But uh, uh, sounds like there's going to be some commitments here coming down the pike that are going to be some big ones, some <laughs> some top 100 guys here. So um, be on the lookout for that. All right, guys, it's now time. We are going to do our 2022 Ohio State NFL mock draft. This is the fourth time we will be doing this. Chris, I think this is your second attempt at this, right? This is my second, yes. Jason, this is your first? First, and hopefully it goes better than my NCAA March Madness bracket. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to let you guys know I'm 3-0, and even with the listeners. No one has ever beat me at this. I'm pretty good mm. at it. I do my research, but I, it sounds like I've got Jason doing a lot of research as well here today. And, of course, Chris, he's coming in confident, which I like. So here's how we do this, fans. You can email me at the ohio podcast at gmail.com or you can send us a message via facebook uh on our instant messenger on facebook or the the um the uh email on facebook as well you can um, email us your picks for the next 11 guys who we're going to be choosing from and you can win prizes you can win a t-shirt you can win a hat actually you can't win a hat i think they're all gone we have cups and a we're also going to be releasing our new T-shirt for the season <coughs> very, very soon. We might have a contest for that, uh, so be on the lookout for that. But um, or, And you could win, obviously, uh, an um, autograph photo from my personal collection as well. Okay, here are the 11 names we're going to be talking about. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, <laughs> Nicholas Petit-Frere, Jeremy Ruckert, Thayer Munford, Haskell Garrett, Tyreek Smith, Demario McCall, Antoine Jackson, Master Teague III, and Chris Booker. These are the 11 Buckeyes who we are going to be making our predictions on. I've got all 11 names and a hat. Chris, you're going to be up first today. And then, Jason, you will follow, then me, and then we'll just keep going in that order. And the next one will be Jason. You would go first, then me, then Chris. And then the third one, I'll go first, then uh, Chris, then Jason. That's how we'll go. As we go through this at home you know, as well, you guys make your predictions and email those in to me. I'll be happy to send somebody a nice little gift bag if you're able to out-predict me. Here's how the scoring works. We're going to give a round, a pick number, and a team. If we get all three of those things right, you get earn, you earn five bonus points. For every <clears throat> prediction you get correct is five points, so you can – Win anywhere from zero to upwards to 20 points per guy in the draft. Again, if you get the round right, that's five points. You get the pick number right, that's an additional five points. You get the team right, that's five points. Get all three right, you get an extra bonus of five points. So you might get the round and the team, but not the pick number. Or you might get the pick number, uh, and that's it. 
or, or the, and the round number, but not the, the right team, or you can get the right round and team, but not the pick number. And so you only earn 10 points that way. So again, five points for every prediction you get correctly, 20 if you get all three for that particular player. Are we ready? Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right, Chris, you're up first, and here we go. The first name that's coming out of the hat is a big guy, Thayer Munford. Thayer Munford is first up on on our board. And, Chris, where is Thayer Munford going to get drafted, my man? Well, I'll tell you what. Thayer, Thayer slipped a little. He's, he's going to be in the fourth round, I believe. I think he goes 131 to the Titans. The Titans need help along that offensive line at every position. Coming back for that senior season, that hurt Thayer a little bit, but I think Vrabel is going to be happy with that versatility, the team mentality, the physical attributes. I think he takes a flyer on him, fourth round, pick number 131. Jason, you're up on Thayer Munford. What's your prediction? Uh, I've also got him in the fourth round, but I have him going pick 107 to Houston Texans. All right. Any reason why the Texans are going to pick him up here? No, I just that's what made the most sense to me when reading over everything. All right. I'm very close to you as well in number there, Jason. But I've got Thayer Munford going in the fourth round, pick 110 to the Baltimore Ravens. Do you remember who Thayer Munford was uh, was um, compared to when he first got to Ohio State, Chris? I don't. The movie The Blind Side. Mike War. There you go. Yeah. He was considered the blind side. You remember where he went when he got drafted? I I know he was played in Baltimore, but I don't remember the It was the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think (coughs) we got revisionist history here. Thayer Munford, round four, pick 110 to the Ravens. All right, Jason, Mm. you are now up here as we reach back in our bag of goodies here. And we're going with a defensive big guy, Antoine Jackson. Antoine Jackson, Chris, where does Antoine Jackson go in this draft? Will he get drafted in this draft? Um, actually, I've got him as a undrafted free agent and signing with the Patriots. Oh, the New England Patriots. Yeah, that's that's kind of the Bill Belichick gold right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, he seems to grab a, a Buckeye every now and then, doesn't he? Uh, Let's see here. I think uh, I am next, so let me look at my notes here real quick. I also have Antoine Jackson going undrafted, and I have him going to the New York Giants. So, yeah, so we have him kind of in the same area there going to the East Coast, but I'm going to go with the New York Giants. You got him to the New England Patriots. Chris, are you going to go with him being drafted here, or do you agree with us? I agree. He goes undrafted, and I think that he actually ends up getting his shot down in Jerry World. I think that the Cowboys give him a shot. Uh, You know, he didn't show a lot this year, never really a great starter. But you know what? I think he makes makes a camp just because he's a Buckeye. Gotcha. All right. Sounds good to me. All right, I am up first now as we reach back in the hat here. Oh, two stuck together here. All right, and next up is another big guy, NPF, Nicholas Petit Frere. 
And I have Nicholas Petit Frere. This is going to be my steal of the draft, guys. <clears throat> I think he falls out and he falls all the way to the end of the second round. Pick, oh, Eric. Pick number 63 <laughs> to the Cincinnati Bengals, <laughs> baby. I think the Bengals, they need some offensive line help. Uh, the Bengals head coach was just at Ohio State uh, again. He was speaking at the coaches clinic. He talked about how you you have to definitely take longer looks at the Buckeye players because of how well they're developed. I think he's banking on NPF slipping to the end of the second round for him to snatch up. Uh, who's up next? Who follows me? Is that, that Jason? Would be me. Chris. Oh, Chris. Chris, go for it. Well, Eric, let me tell you, when you got a general generational talent at quarterback, you got to protect them. Now, Cincinnati was unusually active in the free agent market, but you know what? I agree with you. Mm. I also had him at number 63 to <laughs> the Bengals at the end of the second round. Nice. He's just got that versatility and ability to be a long-term answer on that line. Yep. And with the veterans they signed, I think he's got someone to learn from. I think it's, you know, some may say it's a bit of a reach. I like the fit. I do, too. And I tell you, I, I know a lot of people are down on him because he had a bad game against Aiden Hutchinson and, and the team up north. Outside of that, if you remove that from his film, he had a phenomenal season. Absolutely. So I, one bad day, probably dealing with an injury, might have had the flu bug. Might have had the flu happened. like everybody else. Yeah. So I, 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 th I, I like the pick myself. Jason, what do you got uh, for NPF? Well, the only way Cincinnati is going to get NPF is if they reach even farther and take him in the first round because he is going second round, pick 45 to the Ravens. Mm, I could see Baltimore doing that. Yeah. I, I, I can see Baltimore doing that. They, they, can, they, they tend to find you know diamonds in the rough a lot. All right, Chris, you're up here. Let's go. Let's see here. Oh, Super Demario McCall, Chris. What's he going to do? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, you know, he has a, he he like Mumford has a great work ethic, team mentality, great athleticism. I think he can be a special team standout at the next level, but he's not going to be drafted. I do think much like Mumford, that he finds a home with Mike Vrabel in Tennessee as an undrafted free agent. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, I think, Monk, you're up next, right? Yep. So yep. where do you I got Demario McCall heading? I have him also as an undrafted free agent, um, except for I think he's going to end up with the Carolina Panthers, similar to C.J. Saunders, because uh, Rule – is good friends with Ryan Day, so I think he's going to reach out and just give him that shot. Yeah, I could. You know what? I honestly think Demario McCall could have a decent NFL career. Like, oh, I, I do too. I think he could if he finds the roster, can get on the roster. He's 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 diverse enough. He's played enough positions that they can kind of look at him as like a utility guy. You know, so I I think he's got a chance. All right, Monk, you're up next, and here we go. Uh-oh, he's considered probably the best guy on the roster in this draft, Garrett Wilson. 
Jason, where is Wilson going to land, man? This is I think him and Olave are the most intriguing in this draft. Okay, so this they're not going to pull any punches with since they got rid of Adams. Green Bay is going to trade up both their picks to Atlanta, I believe it is, for the eighth pick, and they are taking Wilson in the first round, eighth pick, Green Bay Packers. Did I give my uh... – no. <laughs> Mario McCall. Sorry, guys. Undrafted Pittsburgh Steelers, Demario McCall. So sorry about that. I, I, <laughs> I've got a little bit ahead of myself there. I was trying to. Uh, <clears throat> but anyways, yep. So I, I think McCall goes to Pittsburgh. And so then, Jason, you've got Green Bay trading up to the eighth pick to get Garrett Wilson. Absolutely. I think that's I think that's smart because you know why? I agree with you, actually. Um, that's exactly what I had written down as well. I think <laughs> I think Green Bay needs a wide receiver, and they want to make uh, Aaron Rodgers happy. And they're gonna take they're gonna do everything they can to get the best guy, wide receiver in this draft. And I think that that's going to be Garrett Wilson. Chris, what do you think? So let me tell you why you're both wrong. <laughs> Conventional thinking is that the Jets, who have two first-round picks at 4 and 10, are going to take Ahmed Gardner out of Cincinnati at 4 and go receiver at 10. I don't think so. They are going to take uh, Garrett Wilson at number 4. Okay. Because the cornerback position slides down a little bit. Sorry, at number 8, you guys are going to have to take one of the bigger receivers for for Atlanta slash Green Bay, it's going to have to be Drake London or possibly Jamison Williams, uh, both who have health concerns. And I think that is the main reason that New York trades up to get Wilson number four is because of the health reasons. Zach Wilson needs a premier target. I think this is a if they do this, I think that this is a breakout season for Zach Wilson as well as Garrett. Garrett Wilson, first round, number four to the Jets. Okay, who's up now? I've lost track. Uh, I went first, so I think... Eric, you're up. It's me? All right, here we go. All right, running back, Master Teague the third. Oh, boy. This is one... Okay, I ain't going to lie, guys. I have struggled. This one, I have changed my pick multiple times. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and go on a limb and say Master Teague is going to get drafted in the seventh round. And I believe he goes pick number 252 in the seventh round to the Cincinnati Bengals. Again, I think they look at the fact that they are going to need some depth. They look at the speed of this guy. They think he can play special teams. Um, Master T goes to the Bengals. Uh, Chris, I think you're up next, correct? Yeah, and I got him going just a little bit sooner, Eric. Okay. I've got him going in the sixth round with number 213 to the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta needs a lot of help. After losing out on that Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, they sent Matt Ryan to the Colts. The team now has Marcus Mariota at the quarterback. You're going to see a team that is very run heavy. They're going to need a lot of depth at running back. Corderell Patterson, he's going to take a lot of, of snaps at slot or receiver. Calvin Ridley's out for the season. At least Mike Davis and Damian Williams, both who are serviceable to get a lot of the snaps. But I think, like you mentioned with the Bengals, they need snaps. This is going to be a run-heavy team. 
And Teague is just a physical specimen, low to talent. Never got a chance to show it out because of the injuries. But you know what? I think he could end up being a steal in the sixth round if he stays healthy. All right, Jason, you are up. All right. I've actually got him going round six as well. Pick 204 to his perfect match of a team, the Titans. This is a poor man's Derrick Henry. And with Henry coming Mm -hmm. off that injury, we don't know exactly how that's going to turn out. So bring in a guy that's very similar in running styles. You don't have to really change anything. You know why? You know why I actually considered going him undrafted and going to the Tennessee Titans is because he's originally from Tennessee. I didn't even think about that either. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. All right, who's up first uh, now? I think is it Chris or Chris? Chris. That's me. All right, (laughs) Chris, you're going to tell us all about Chris Booker. Okay. Well, you know, Chris Booker. Just he came, of course, over, was a uh, special teams beast this season, did have a couple catches, but, you know, he he was a team contributor. To me, I don't see him getting onto an NFL roster practice squad, maybe, but I think this kid is probably an XFL or CFL talent. I don't think anybody's really going to give him a shot. I mean, he was a great student athlete. He was an academic all big, uh, big 10 in 2020. So smart kid, but you know what? I just, I don't see him at that level, even though, you know, if anybody's going to defy the odds, it's this young man who started out as a club player and made his way to the team. Right. I, I don't see it though. All right, so you go undrafted, unsigned. Yes, sir. Jason, you are up. I've got him undrafted, but my Detroit Lions are going to pick him up. Special teams, that's what he's going to be there for, and I think they will give him a shot. I totally can see Chris Spielman doing that. (laughs) He seems like a Spielman guy. I got to give you that. Uh, I'm going undrafted, unsigned. For Chris Booker, I'm with you, Chris. I, I just it's tough for me to see. All right, let's pull another name out of the hat here for Jason. You are up now, and you're going to tell us where Haskell the Rascal Garrett is going to land. Okay, I've got him going round four, pick one ten to the Baltimore Ravens. All right, let me write this down: four one ten, the Baltimore Ravens. All right. And I think I follow you here. So after I wrote, if I can spell Ravens properly. All right, let's let me look at my notes here for Haskell the Rascal Garrett. Round four, I agree. Pack pick 126. To me, if you get shot in the face and you come back and play football, you're a Raider, baby. <laughs> so <laughs> Haskell the Rascal Garrett, pick 126 to the Raiders. Got him going home, huh? I got him going home, man. He's a Raider. You know, I think that I'm right in there between you guys, because let me tell you, I think it is reunion time, baby. It is reunion time. Going to Cleveland. I have Haskell Garrett, fourth round, number 118, to the Cleveland Browns to rejoin Tommy Togiai and just wreak a little bit of hell up there on the lake. 
you know, I actually thought about that, to be honest with you, because I thought those two. They need defensive tackle help. I think he's got that type of toughness yep. and, and personality that the fans of Cleveland would embrace and that the team would embrace. Yep. All right, here we go. Reaching back in. I think I'm first this time. Jeremy Ruckert. This is the this right here is the enigma of the draft, man. Yeah, you ain't kidding. All right, all right. So I don't know how this guy's gonna fall here, but every mock I look at has him going in the third or fourth round. I have him going round three, pick number sixty-seven to the New York Giants. Round three, pick sixty-seven, New York Giants. Chris. Eric, I toyed with that. Uh, you know, the Giants pick as well. The Giants just need so much. I think there's still going to be some other guys out there that it's more important for them to address. I also have him going in the third round. I think he ends up being a steal of the draft, Eric. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the second one for the Bengals. Pick number 95. I think they draft this guy. They've got to help the run game and mainly they got to, you know, replace that production. They lost when CJ Uzuma left. Yeah. And yeah, I if, think Rutger is that guy. If, if he falls to them, you better believe I'm going to be like screaming at my TV for them to take him. <laughs> uh, Jason, what do you think on Rutger, man? Well, my, my first thought was the Broncos, but I think they're going to take that um, likely out of uh, coastal Carolina. And then I tried to find any way I could for him to have a reunion with Justin Fields in Chicago. I just don't mm. think he, I don't think he's going to fall that I far also, back. I also thought about that as well. So I I went with third round pick seventy seven to the Minnesota Vikings. I saw, I saw a mock with that as well. I saw a mock with that as well. So you might not be wrong there. All right. Uh, I believe we are back to Chris now. Here we go. I think there's only, what, two left here? Tyreek Smith, Chris. Okay. Well, you know what? We we had uh, an in-depth discussion about Tyreek shortly after the Combine and Pro Day. Uh, you know, this kid definitely did a whole hell of a lot to improve his situation during that time. I've got him going late in the uh, fourth round. In fact, he's actually going to be in the compensatory pick section of the fourth round. Okay. But I got him going number 142 to the champs. They're going to need help off that that edge with Vaughn Miller leaving. Now, he's no Vaughn Miller, but I'll tell you what, we saw some flashes. We saw an impressive showing this offseason. He is worth a compensatory pick for the Rams at 142. He was a five-star recruit, man. Yes. So, all right, Jason, I think you're up next here. Um, yep. I also have him going in the fourth round, but I have him going pick 118 to the Browns. Interesting. Okay. I wouldn't be I, mad. Well, <laughs> you won't be mad at this at all then, Chris. I got him in the fifth round, pick 202 to the Browns. I'm even liking that better. Yeah. <laughs> I uh yeah that might so, be a steal if he goes that far. You think so? 
Yeah. I mean, given his given his star rating coming out of high school, you would think he would be in at least the first three rounds, but that production was just not consistent there. So well, uh, maybe with an NFL coach, he gets that. This is this is true. That is very very true, and that has happened before. All right, that leaves the last guy. How did he fall last here, Jason? I have no idea. It's my sixth grade gesture, man. Chris Olave. The best for last, man. There it is, the best <laughs> for last. Chris Olave. Where's he gonna fall, Jason? I've got him going round one, pick fifteen, Dolphins. I, I believe that was a, a trade situation, but I forgot to write it down. Yeah, it is. But you know what? My boss, uh, he is a huge Dolphins fan. He would love that. He would love that. Okay. Well, that'd be tough. Him opposite Tyreek Smith, wouldn't it? Y- yeah. How you gonna stop that? But he, or Tyreek Hill, rather. He's yeah. he's the most uh, NFL ready right now receiver in my opinion. So I if think you're, so. I think if you're so l- well. looking to build quick, he's the one you want to take. All right, so there's a lot of, of scuttlebutt out there <coughs> about Terry McLaurin and in, in the Generals. <clears throat> Gosh, that's hard to say. The Generals, Commanders, <laughs> Commanders. Yeah. What are the? What are they? I, that's Commanders. Cool. I, there's been so many stupid <laughs> name changes. I, At least they're not the Washington Football Team. I, they I, that's they should have. They should have stayed with the Redskins and just made their logo. Uh, potato <laughs> i don't know why they didn't just go with the hogs to be honest with you man right call back to that offensive line the hogs it was it was ready made for him anyways i think he's gonna go round one pick number 11 to the washington commanders they've got it they've got to make uh, if ter- who is the most terry mclarnan guy in this draft it's chris olave so yeah. if they lose terry they've got to replace him and it sounds like they're gonna lose him so I, I, I've got to go and say that they, they bite the bullet and they go back to the well here and get another Buckeye. Chris, what do you think, man? Well, I'll tell you, I, I ran the draft needs uh, of the teams in that teen range. And I think Olave, you know, possibly slides a little bit lower than what some people are going to think. I think he falls slightly behind a bigger receiver in Drake Landon and possibly even Jamison Williams. He's going to be top 20. He's going number 19 to the New Orleans Saints Mm. to either be paired with or replace one Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas. So we both kind of had the same idea, just different teams. Now, I've thought about the Saints, Chris, because you know the Saints are, are basic. They, they were for a long time until Cincinnati took that money. They were Buckeye South. They were Buckeye South. And I don't know how this particular coaching staff views Ohio State, but we knew the previous one loved them some Buckeyes. But has Michael Thomas soured them on that? That's the question here. I so, But I agree. I, I like him with the Saints. I tried to find a place for I even thought about, is it, is it 14? I think pick 14 to the Saints is a possibility. Um, yeah, I've seen a couple there. I think it was like 28, 16. And there was a, quite a few different ones. Yeah. You know, it's just these so-called experts are so high on Drake Landon. I don't get that. I think it's, it's because size. of the size. But let me tell you, and the same thing with Jamison Williams. And he's only, what, a couple pounds heavier than, than Olave. But they're so high on these two guys because – Obviously, Williams had a great year at Alabama, and for some reason, the, the size of Drake London. But let me tell you, I, 
I don't see it. I think Olave is superior to both these guys, but every every mock draft I've looked at has these guys going ahead of him. Mm. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing with that, though, is you know they're not taking into consideration that Olave and Wilson had to split, and then you throw JSN in there, like. Well, and and the yeah, other two guys are dealing with so many and have dealt with so many injuries over the last couple of years. Right. Olave is just reliable. He oh, is absolutely. going to be there for you. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. This is going to be a lot of fun. We will ha- we will be watching the draft with bells on as soon as we get word on anywhere anybody's drafted. You will uh, you will receive a notification from the OHIO podcast if you are signed up on our Facebook page for notifications. You will know right away when someone is drafted. We'll be watching it with our eyes glued to it, um, and we'll be seeing who wins. If you want to participate in the competition, we welcome you to do so. Again, send us your name, who you are, and send your picks for these eleven guys with your predictions into our. Uh, you can email it to us at um, by emailing the OHIO podcast at gmail.com or uh, sending it with via messenger or the um, uh, the email via Facebook if you'd like to do that for our Facebook page and uh, let us know who you are what your predictions are again the name of the player the round the number the team uh, if he's undrafted and if he gets signed or he goes unsigned let us know that as well if you get off all three right pick round and team you do get an extra bonus point see if anybody can take me down this year i'm three and oh man i don't know i'm starting to as i'm looking through this i think jason and, and chris have done some serious <laughs> homework here man so it should be very very interesting all right guys we're going to take a quick commercial break and when we come back i have an awesome interview with author Steve Bassford. He's also the statistician for Ohio State football, and he also does play-by-play for Ohio Westland as well. The guy is, a, I guess you could say he's a sportsaholic and a big-time Buckeye fan and just a very interesting interview. So stick around for that right after the commercial break, and we'll be back next week as well um, with our next podcast where we break down where all these Buckeyes go in this week's draft. So enjoy that. It's a lot of fun, and we are getting into the offseason here at the OHL Podcast, so we are always going to bring you some amazing content with lots of interesting uh, topics to discuss. So hang tight, everybody. The OHIO Podcast is brought to you by Mastermind. Mastermind specializes in 360-degree high-definition mobile video mapping, GIS integration, and traffic safety studies. Mastermind cares about traffic safety and keeping you safe on the roadway. Visit Mastermind at OnlineMastermind.com. And welcome back to the OHIO podcast, everybody. Now I'm joined by author and statistician and I believe play-by-play man, uh, a, a jack-of-all-trades in the, in the sports world, Steve Basford. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Thank you, Eric, and check, check, and check. Uh, you're correct on all three accounts. <laughs> for for those who maybe who don't know who you are, why don't you give a brief overview of uh, who you are, where you came from, and uh, how you got involved in uh, Ohio State football? Lived in uh, Columbus my entire life, so my formative years only three miles away from the stadium. Started going to the games as a freshman there, and. Through a stroke of good luck, in 1978, 
Time Warner Cable was carrying the football games. I got to work the very last game, stats-wise, in 1978. That was at Indiana. It was Woody's last game, Woody's last victory. And so I did Time Warner stats for all of 79 to 1980. From 1981 through 1990, I was with the WOSU network. A lot of folks remember that they showed the replays Saturday night and Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And then from 93 to present, except for the pandemic year, I've been a member of the official stats crew at Ohio State. That's fantastic. So all of that led to you having an amazing opportunity to write the book Buckeye Memories from the couch, the stands, and the press box, and a few fun facts. Tell everybody about this book you wrote and kind of the gist behind it, maybe the genesis of it. I've been accumulating all the fun memories over the years in my head, so I had some downtime. So with my love of Ohio State football, I decided to write this book. It covers the years 1968 through 2020. Um, let's see, I I missed the first game of 1970 with a foot injury, but I've been to every game since then except for the p- pandemic year. Uh, heavily involved in Ohio State stats-wise, and like so many people, so many great memories. Even as a kid, going to a game before I knew what was going on. But uh, that's where I'm coming from, and just a labor of love to put all this into a book. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to get my hands on one. Uh, I, I try to read one Buckeye book a year in the off season, just so I can say I read a book this year. <laughs> so I'm going to be getting my hands on this one and it's it's and it's going to be my uh, my uh, attempt to get this thing read. Uh, I'm working on the the book that Trestle wrote. Um, yes, I know that's like was many, many moons ago when he actually wrote that book. But um Yes, this is definitely on my list to get and to read. So I can't say I've read it yet, Steve, but I don't want you to give away everything. But maybe give me a few highlights from the book to wet my whistle on things I might be reading when I pick this thing up. I'm glad you asked because I'm going to give you and uh, our listeners some advice. Go right to the chapter on the 2002 season, which is my all-time favorite. That dramatic year. We all know how it turned out with the national championship. It's my biggest chapter of the entire book, and I've got an entire, or I should say a very extensive section on the championship game, which I was at against Miami. Talk about all the twists and turns that happened in that game, which most people know. And so many events, like 10 different points of the game, where the game could have taken a completely different direction, and we would not have had double overtime, and we would not have said this is one of the greatest games of all time. I, I will do that then because that's definitely my favorite. That was my favorite year as a fan. I, I was actually a uh, I was a sophomore. Yeah, no. So, yeah, junior and junior in college in 2002. And I watched every single game with a very good friend, a mentor of mine that season. And of course, the Holy Buckeye game is my all time favorite moment for Ohio State. And I assume you it's good. It would be really hard to ask you what your favorite moment would be because you've seen so many and have experienced so many, but maybe give me one or two that stick out in your mind as moments that you were just in awe of or amazed that you got to witness. People always ask me, what's your favorite Michigan game? And for me, it's the 2002 game. So 
That's the one I keep coming back to. Again, high drama intercepting the Michigan pass on the last play of the game. With uh, The play took place with one second on the clock, and Will Allen intercepted ball at the end zone. And we in the press box, uh, we get sheltered from the noise. But at the end of every Michigan game, we will slide that gigantic sliding glass window open. And I tell you, the roar of the crowd after that game and every Michigan game just just blew me away. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I so a uh, little little secret here. I've never been to a Michigan game. I've seen every Big Ten team except for them. And this year. Um, I, I'm going no matter what I'm going. So this will be my first year to g- actually get to witness the game. Um, and I'm also going to the Notre Dame game, which is, is going to be a lot of fun, but that takes me back to the nineties when we dominated Notre Dame and that home and a uh, home and home series with them. My actual, my cousin, Ryan Miller, um, you probably remember Ryan middle linebacker, uh, won the Rose bowl team back in, was that 96, 97? I can't remember exactly what year that was, but, um, the mid nineties, man, I just, sometimes I go back. I just, I, I'm astonished that they couldn't win a national championship. They had at least two or three teams in the mid nineties, Steve, that I, you, you mark, you line them up with some of the teams today and they're, they would compete in, for a national championship even today, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on that? In my book, I've got a theme for the seventies and a theme for the nineties. And each case, the theme is oh, so close. Because <laughs> That's perfect, right? <laughs> in the 70s, uh, what, four or five times could have been national championship. And as you say, in the 90s, could have happened in 95, could have happened in 96, could have happened in 98. I suggest that maybe the 1998 team is one of the perhaps their best team of all time. That lone blemish against Michigan State, which they had a 24 to 9 lead, yeah. gave it away. Still had a chance to win with a first and 10 on the 15. And four incomplete passes, and that was it. Down the drain. Still won the bowl game that year against Texas A&M, but a big disappointment. So I've often wondered this. I've never been in the press box uh, at Ohio Stadium. What's it like during a game up there in the press box? I know they have different areas for, like, the television crew versus the print media. Um, What's it like up there? Maybe give, give us fans an insight of what it's like in the press box during a game. We're in our own room. There's like eight of us working on official stats. So we're kind of hermetically sealed. There's a, there's a saying, no cheering in the press box, but uh, thankfully you're allowed to pump your fist. So I do that quite often. (laughs) Our press box is right next to the visitors coaches. And it used to be that we could see the visitors coaches. Then after a while, the visiting coaches would uh, tape up newspapers to block our view and, I think there's shades now, but every once in a while I could peek in between the shades and see visiting coaches and and hear what they're talking about and learning some new words along the way. <laughs> and, I'm sure. And then two booths down to our left is where Paul Keels and company does their broadcast. Fantastic. Yeah. So so yeah. So it's actually a very quiet place, huh? That that's kind of surprising to me that it would be quiet like that. It really is. Yeah, it's kind of. Virtue of the fact that uh, that most of the media are locked in on the game and uh, not allowed to cheer. So, unfortunately, that's the way it is. Interesting, interesting. All right. So, tell me a little bit about your broadcasting as well. I know you're not just an author or a statistician for Ohio State. You also do some play-by-play, yes? 
I do the play-by-play for Ohio Wesleyan. I do the football. I do football when there's not an Ohio State game. I do women's basketball, men's basketball. And right now we're doing softball and baseball. Very good. So I actually, I actually live in Delaware. So um, people who don't know where Ohio Westland is, I think they're a Division three school here in Delaware, North Central Ohio. But fun fact, Ohio Westland was Ohio State's first ever opponent in football, and it was here in Delaware. There's actually a plaque that mem- uh, memorializes that moment. So um, I guess you could say that Ohio Westland and Ohio State are connected a, a little bit, couldn't you? Right. In fact, I've got a newspaper clipping, not at my fingertips right now, but a story on that first game. And I think one of the funny things was they had to interrupt the game every once in a while because the ball would go into the river. Yeah, it was it was uh, yeah, it was a different time period back then, see, <laughs> as you would say. But uh, um, as someone who's been around the program as long as you have and have and have followed the program, give me your overall impression so far of Ryan Day. I mean, you've been you started back. I would uh, gosh, I guess you would say, like you said, Woody Hayes, you saw that last year. Um, and then you you went into the Earl Bruce era, John Cooper uh Trestle, Urban Meyer, now Ryan Day. What is your impression of our current head coach and how he's been doing? Obviously a former quarterback. He's pretty much invested in the quarterbacks and I think it's been pretty seamless from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. You can say what you want about the defense. You'll get better this year, but offensively, can you think of a better offensive team coming back or last year with the three big receivers last year, of course, two of them moving on. But Travion Henderson is back, and some of the running backs behind him are said to be exceptionally well, too. So you can expect to see that offense really in high gear again this year. Yeah, I, I think I, I really feel Ohio State's going to have a great chance to win a national championship. If the improvement on the defense is what we expect it to be, given what they have coming back on that offense, there's no reason to think that they should not compete for a national championship, in my opinion. And I think, I think Ryan Day's one of those guys, Steve, that he learns from his mistakes. And I go back to the Clemson game. He played that first Clemson game, which, you know, a lot of us feel that thing was stolen from us. He comes back the very next year and you can tell that the game plan that he had uh, there was there was no way Clemson was going to win that game. They just were so well prepared for that. And I think if given the opportunity to play Alabama again, I think Ryan Day will have learned from that first experience. He seems to be that type of person. And I just have a lot of faith in the guy. I really do. I, I, I feel like Ryan Day is the right man for this generation, for this transition in college athletics that we're seeing. I mean, this is a very different world today with NIL, the transfer portal, et cetera, than the world that Steve, you and I grew up in um, where you had the Earl Bruce's and the Woody Hayes who could grab you by the face mask and drag you around the field with what we see going on today. Steve, do you think football's better today or was it better then? When you say better than at the Woody Hayes times, yeah, just, you know, we're talking 70s and 80s, you know, uh, into the early 90s even. I mean, it, it not not to put you on the spot, I just kind of would love to get your perspective of someone who experienced football back then as as to as opposed to what it is today and, and the differences in that. For one thing, uh, you can forget about defenses. It seems like nobody plays defense these days. And yeah. 
in the 70s, early 60s and 70s, Whitty's teams are very good on defense. Now everybody is running the spread. Uh, ball is going all over the place. You've got the short intervals in between the plays. So to answer your question, far more exciting to watch these days. So yeah, I'll go with the I'll go with the current time period. Okay, very good. Uh, all right. So now I th- do believe, and you correct me if I'm wrong. Are you currently working on another book as well? Yes, I am. Excellent. Tell us about that. It's all about my broadcasting and stats work. Uh, I did my very first game, a little bit of color announcing in 1975. It was a high school basketball game between Upper Arlington and Marietta. And for some reason, I decided to write that down on a piece of uh, notebook paper. So every game that I've worked since then is on a piece of notebook paper up my log. And I just passed game number 2100 a couple weeks ago. So it'll be about the accumulation of, I started out heavily in stats, and over the last 10 years-ish, pretty much 100% play-by-play, uh, play, except for my high state stats work. Yeah. Excellent. So um, as far as the current book that is available, where can people find that and get their hands on that book? You can get Buckeye Memories at Amazon or Barnes & Noble online only. Gotcha. Two biggest to go to. I understand Apple Books might have it and Kobo. But, uh, yeah. Also, so would, pretty much any, any yeah. other store, interestingly, any online, like a friend of mine went online for Gramercy Bookstore, which is in Bexley. He ordered his through there. So I think any bookstore can get their hands on it and mail it to you. Yes, yeah, so I went to Amazon, just typed in Buckeye Memories, literally, and book. I think I think Buckeye Memories book is what I put in, and it came up. And uh, there is a – looks like there's a Kindle version as well as a paperback version. So uh, very interesting. Um, I would definitely suggest doing that. I know I'm going to do that, Steve. And um, I got one more question for you. It's a question I ask everybody when I interview them, and – I'm just kind of accumulating everybody's thoughts uh, on this question, and, and I'll, I'll probably put them all together at some point. But I have to ask, what does it mean to you, Steve, to be a Buckeye? To me, to be a Buckeye means I've lived in Ohio my entire life. It's the Ohio way of life. I think the state of Ohio is very family-oriented as opposed to the metropolises elsewhere in the United States. So it's a very comfortable place to live, and especially Columbus. I'm highly invested in the Columbus-Franklin County area. So to me, a Buckeye is is home. Mm-hmm. And it's just interacting with all the people who, by the way, have a very big love for the Buckeyes football team and other sports. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right, folks, that's our show for today. As always, be kind to one another. I owe someone's OH. And until next time, Steve, here's your part. OH! I owe! Go Bucks! Oh, come, let's sing, oh, praise and songs through armor while our hearts rebounding thrill 
and joy which death alone can still. Summer's heat, oh, winter's cold. The seasons pass, the years will roll. Time and change will surely show how firm thy friendship. Oh, high